0: Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with the founder of Red Argyle, Tom Petros. Tons of companies these days rely on a platform like Salesforce to get their services rendered, and the market is highly competitive for firms who can customize applications to fit a client's individual needs. Thomas founded Red Argyle in 2010, and it grew considerably in its first decade. Growing to a larger team size and consistently gathering millions in revenue, Red Argyle has managed to stand out as a key provider for everything from big-name companies like Google and Amazon down to first-year tech startups. Besides providing custom development and consulting services, Tom has built his company on an approachable but fair ethos, stressing the importance that overworking employees doesn't have to be the lifeblood of successful ventures. Red Argyle is growing like crazy. So, Tom, let's get to it, my friend. Thank you for being here today.
1: All right. Thanks for having me.
0: Yes, sir. So how in the world did we get into this? What led you to starting this company?
1: Oh, this was, uh, this was a long time coming. Um, probably, I think. Th- well while, while Red Argyle was officially founded in 2010, I, I think I'd been pursuing what I knew I wanted to you know have as my own business for probably five years prior. And um, at the same time, this little thing called Salesforce started showing up in the, uh, in the industry. Um, my, my backgrounds in technology, I was kind of a developer at heart but uh, I've, been around, I've been around the web and marketing organizations and, and things like that since probably 2000. I'm, I'm showing my age here, Drew, a little bit. So um, I was first exposed to Salesforce probably 15 years ago um, after I had left a previous position um, and a marketing firm that we worked with called me up one night and said, we've got a client. They've got this thing called Salesforce. We think you can write code for it. We think it has an <laughs> API. Can you do some stuff with it? Um, and, uh, literally the next day was like, I got hooked on this, on this Salesforce thing. Um, I thought the platform was unlike anything I had seen, you know, uh, in the, uh, in the past, um, flexible, powerful, consistent, and you could do a lot of really interesting stuff for business purposes, uh, on it. You know, you had a story to tell, uh, or a problem to solve. Salesforce was a, was a tool that you could, uh, that you could definitely throw at it. Fast forward, I had taken other positions uh, doing Salesforce-like development work. Uh, the 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 role that I had prior to starting Red Argyle, uh, myself and my soon-to-be business partner, who we'll talk about, you know, I'm sure it a little bit, uh, we were working together building a platform for association management, um, completely on the sale on Salesforce. So with the with the intent of you know selling that app, licensing it through the platform. Uh, so we really were knee deep in it all day. I also continued some of these relationships, uh, off hours, you know, moonlighting for other companies who said, Hey, we heard you do Salesforce. Would you like to, you know, would you like to join us? Um, and one thing led to another, I had as much work at night as I did during the day. And it's kind of like, I guess the scale tipped for me where I realized this was a safe move. You know, um, it certainly wasn't a fast move, you know, all those relationships were, years in the making and just kind of hanging on to those over time until sort of hit critical mass and and said, hey, uh, I think I can do this on my own. Um, I had kind of a vision for, you know, making it look a little bit different, you know, focusing on things a little bit differently. And, you know, certainly the customers that I was working with at that point were, were also driving like the interesting work at that point. So couple that with a platform that was just, you know, it just kicks ass, at whatever you throw at it, that uh, it is made for some really, you know, really interesting and exciting work and figured, well, let's, let's do this thing. Um, yeah, that was in 2010. Um, there was a little economic crisis going on at the middle of that time, So we uh-huh. you know, peak great recession. I think uh, I also uh, my wife and I also had our first son four months prior. So, you know, uh, complete economic uncertainty. Uh, a new mouth to feed. It seems like the perfect time to start a business, so <laughs> went ahead and did that. Um, pulled the ripcord, and um, I got to say, I, I'm I'm thankful for every minute, and you know, I I don't look back with anything but uh, but but excitement.
0: Yeah did your did your business get uh, personally affected by that economic downturn, or where you
1: were positioned with who you were working with? Was it not much affected? I think we I, we were really lucky. Um, there there was actually. And I think this is true in the Salesforce ecosystem and continues to be the, the demand for the kind of work that, that Red Argyle does, you know, continues to outstrip the supply of companies like Red Argyle to do that work. So definitely a little bit of right place, right time. Um, You know, the industries that, that we were able to support are far reaching and often very similar in their needs, despite being in very different industries. So uh, we weathered that fairly well and, you know, kind of grew, Grew through and grew out of the you know the great recession. Um, okay, in the first the first couple of years. So help me understand
0: again, what exactly the business was that emerged? So you have Salesforce as a platform that all these people are using, and were yep. you providing services to help customize and and maybe add some features or or benefits that they could get out of it? Is that in what it essence,
1: is? yeah, exactly. So um, you know, sale, it, Salesforce is a huge platform. You you know, a lot of companies, circa 2010, were just just getting Salesforce, you know, so they were gonna manage their sales organizations or their service organizations uh, on the platform. Um, I didn't, you know, Red Argo at that time, we didn't do, and we really never have done a lot of base implementations of Salesforce, like roll it out, out of the box. We've always done what my my partner and I kind of joke to ourselves, like we do the custom complex weird stuff with the platform, which is, okay, Salesforce is here in this, in this this in this company, no two companies have exactly the same business processes. Once you kind of peel the onion a little bit, they've got nuances and, and and special support that they need, and that's really where we fit. Was kind of turning those processes into technology implementation on the platform to you know kind of make it sing for uh, for their organization as they as they saw fit. Um, and that's really always been it. Again, my my tech background, like I was, of course, I wanted to play with this API and do all these sure. things, you know, and shove a bunch of data around. Um, and my, my partner, when he joined me, Gary, um, he joined me a year later after Red Argyle was founded. So it was 2011. He and I worked in a, in a job together previously. And um, he was like the consulting yin to my development yang, you know, so I sort of ran the thing, you know, got it, got the, got the nuts and bolts of mechanics figured out we were growing after a year, I realized there's no way I can do this on my own. And I wanted to have a trusted, you know, who, who would I trust implicitly? The guy that I was just working with previously that, where we were doing a bunch of great work together. So um, it was a, it was a conversation on my back porch with, I think a a leg of lamb (laughs) (laughs) that kind of sealed the deal. I guess if I cooked it well enough, he was going to join me. Um, But lo and behold, you know, it, it was a few months after that, you know, kind of figuring out the details of everything he joined me and we, you know, we kind of started the sustainable, you know, the sustainable path of growth that we've, uh, we've been on since then. Man, I want to back up just a second. When you mentioned uh,
0: peeling the onion for each business you're working with and starting to see what their unique business processes are and where there might be something of benefit that you guys could, could offer. How do you do that? How, is it a series of, of conversations, questions? Like how do you guys actually peel that onion back?
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, first and foremost, we Red Argyle is a. You know, I say we're a technology consultancy. Um, I like how those two words kind of pack up the company really nicely because none of this, no tech implementation happens in a vacuum, right? It's always got context back to the business that you're working for. Enter the consultative mindset, which is really, you know, it's a lot of interrogation. You know, like we yeah. we have to act like five year olds with our customers and kind of you know get to that most important why, the big why that's driving. What are we trying to accomplish here? Um, and it's a it, for us. I think it's a it, to me. It's one of the most um, like nourishing aspects of our work, right? Because we we really kind of get to empathize with the customer. We get to hear about their challenges. We know Salesforce is always the foregone conclusion, if you will, of the tech stack that we're going to use because they're coming to us for that expertise. Right. Um, so we give them we give them guaranteed tech stack ex- expertise, but then we also take them through this you know this consultative, really design mindset to uncover what are the, you know, what are the true needs? What are the stories you're trying to tell? Um, Increasingly as our, as our staff have grown, we've added more uh, skill sets around telling that story, you know, even to the point where we'll do proof of concepts and UX design and, and some research around user base to really help flesh out the customer's uncertainty around how this, this function is going to, or these, these features we're going to deliver are going to be adopted by them. That's Mm. what it all comes down to is like, we want to guarantee adoption of what's being built. Otherwise, what's the point, right? That's, yeah. So that's really kind of begin with the end in mind. You know, get to the big why. Those are uh, that consultative approach is really what we uh, what we what we spend the most amount of time. I wouldn't say the most amount of time, but certainly the most energy has to go into that early on to uh, make sure we can so set ourselves up for success.
0: Yeah, and it's it's such a unique and and sometimes difficult skill to learn, especially if your background is in something like technology, like working with the the API and working with the actual program and software that you're working with, and now you've also got to learn this consultative side. Was that something that was outsourced to Gary, or did you end up having to learn that as well? Speak that language, know the right yeah. questions to ask, how to
1: take someone on a journey like that. It's a great question. I I, I was lucky in my previous experience, and you know, I worked in worked in corporate IT for for quite a while, um, and the breadth of projects that came across my desk, even though my my focus was really kind of like web. Technology, you know, I, I ran the website, ran the intranet, ran some extranets for uh, for my previous client or my previous job, and um, it was it, I I didn't realize at the time, but it was an extremely consultative position because I was, you know, as as basically the project manager, spending a lot of time with these other divisions and stakeholders within them to to draw out what their needs were, you know, and I, I guess I was just kind of lucky that I had. That curiosity, um, you know, I can go hard on tech. We can talk about APIs and endpoints and, you know, <laughs> HTTP calls and all that stuff all day long. Um, but I also have always appreciated the, I think, kind of the customer service aspect to work and and which is very close to the consultative work because ultimately I just want to want to service this customer. I want to make sure they have a great time with us. So yeah. really drew on a lot of that um, mentality, which I guess turned out to make me a halfway decent consultant, you know, at the time. Um, I was just also happy to have Gary who lived and breathed that space more so in his previous role to, to augment. Um, so by our powers combined, we're pretty unstoppable. I, I like to think when we're, when we're on calls together, but um, previous history had led me, led me to that moonlighting in, in preparation for red Argyle. That's kind of how I think about it sometimes like yeah. onesie z clients. You couldn't not be their consultant, you know, in the, at the same time as well. Um, And I could, I could feel my, my progression, my maturity kind of growing when those customers of mine were bringing me to their client meetings to have sort of face-to-face discussions. It sort of felt like I wasn't just the guy behind the curtain anymore. You know, I was like, kind of, kind of got to get out in front of it, put on the show a little bit, you know, show people you're not crazy. That's what we always kind of joke about. We got to pass crazy with all of our customers um, so that they can, you know, builds trust and confidence in us. Yeah. So, what did it
0: look like to scale beyond you and Gary, right? So, I imagine yeah. at first the two of you are are doing everything, right? You're you're consulting, you're bringing the customer in, you're you're creating the solution, uh, you're servicing the account, all that kind of stuff, and then at some point you start to expand and be a company that's bigger than just the two of you and your yeah. skill sets.
1: What was that? What was that like? I, I mentioned I used the word sustainable previously because I, I think Gary and I are both, you know, we're both pretty conservative when it comes to you know the finances of the company and and um you know risk reward you know kind of always trying to measure measure the risk and mitigate it so we can go earn that reward not not sort of uh hope for you know for that reward so um we actually had a uh gary i can't remember i don't know that it's been a long time i don't remember the timing exactly but we had an intern that joined us right along the same time gary was there we were like Oh my gosh, we have an employee, you know, it's (laughs) kind of like, yay, you know? Um, And, uh, and then we had hired our second person after that, which was really like, I think it wasn't the first person, it was the second person that was like, whoa, this is like, this is real. I don't know why it was, it was hire number two that really kind of, kind of drove that home. But um, over time we've, you know, we've always just, I I think when we first started, you're, you're all, you're naturally very kind of scared to hire, right? Because it's like, A, I could do that work and I don't have to pay somebody. B, man, what happens if, what happens if we don't have a customer? You know, what are we going to yeah. do? How are we going to pay, how are we going to pay people? That's always like kind of the first, the first initial fear. Um, once things sort of stream, you know, our, once our finances kind of got a little more consistent, they're not always very consistent in, in consulting. It does a little of course. bit, of, a little bit of the up and down sometimes, but we established a pretty good base of clients. And I think Gary and I were learning like the dynamics of, Okay, in order to have some consulting, you know, some consistent consulting here, what's our base stable of clients that we that we're doing repeat business with, you know, that 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 continued to grow, and that gave Gary and I a little bit of like you know that opportunity to go out and sell, you know, to, yeah. to new customers. So it was it turned out to be quickly become a necessity to have some people catch that work and and do it. And the the, fo- the early folks that were with us, they caught a lot of work. We also worked alongside them. You know, there wasn't really this place was pretty flat for quite a while. And we just <laughs> rolled up our sleeves at the end of the day when, uh, you know, whether we, we got that new client or not. So, yeah. um, as what time think, went, I'm sorry, go ahead. That's okay.
0: What, when the, you look back at that early stage, let's say it's, we're just starting to make our hires We we don't really know what we're doing yet. It's getting real. What do you look back on and say, man, glad we did that. Or we did that well. And then what do you look back on and go, man, we did not do that part well. Like that
1: (laughs) that, that was part of the learning curve. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think so there's a little bit of both in the first one. I think we, we early on tried our hand at managing our own payroll and taxes and all that good stuff. And I think quickly got punched in the gut with just like the complexity of, and it's not even I don't want to undermine it. It's not complex when the right people are doing it. Right. So right. like uh, when we tried to service all of it ourselves, it quickly was like, we can't do this. You know, we're going to, we're one false move from missing something. And then who knows what's going to, what's going to happen. So we outsourced as much of the payroll and administrative stuff as pretty early on. Cause it just, it just made sense. And I would tell anybody like, that's the first thing you want to get out of because mm. who knows what's going to come up. You know, you just, even though it feels like, ah, I could run this through QuickBooks or whatever, you're buying insurance to a degree when you, you know, when you're, when you're getting an advisor or somebody to run your payroll for you. Cause you know, man, as soon as one thing goes wrong or some new law comes along, you don't want to spend your your time trying to make money learning about New York state HR compliance law. Like that's right. Not, that's not the kind of stuff you want to do. So um, I felt like we did that pretty good fast. I think we, um, presumed that anybody we hired was going to be exactly like gary and i right yeah Which is yeah, a yeah. complete nonsense thought to have for for two extremely willing extremely capable and i'm proud to say one of them is still with us resources here at red argyle um i think we piled a lot on on these new greenhorns in our world and were surprised when they couldn't do everything themselves or take, you know, take care of things, AKA like Gary and I had to figure, had to kind of learn how to manage and lead real quick, you know, and you know, that, that was maybe thrust upon us a little bit. I would have spent a little bit more time chasing, you know, seeking mentors and maybe chasing some education around that stuff. We did okay. We did good enough for one of them to still like to work here. So I'm (laughs) I'm happy about that, but um, we really thrust a lot onto those new, those new hires. God bless them. They, they, they took it. They did it. They did great work for us while they, you know, while they were here. But um, if I were to start a new company all over again, I think I'd have much clearer expectations about what it means to hire new junior folks. Mm. And I think also, you know, the, the, the mentorship that I've got lately, it's still, this all still plays. It's just a matter of scale now is, are we hiring from the bottom? Are we hiring to fill the bottom or are we hiring to fill the top? And I wonder what our what our our business would look like if we hired a very senior person, you know, to start filling some of that work role versus junior people. I don't know if one's good, bad, or the or the other that early on, but we're starting to realize we need to kind of hire from both directions as we scale um mm. in the current space that we are. So there's a little bit of a you yeah, know, kind of a then versus now to all that.
0: Yeah. How would you describe now? Like what 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 size is the inter- is the internal company? 40, 50 people,
1: something like that? Yeah, I think we're 50, I feel embarrassed. I should know the exact number. I think we're 56 uh, currently. and um, we, 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 we spend a lot more time in, uh, from both sides of the, uh, from both sides of the scale. So um, our, our kind of bottom up hiring, uh, we have a, a co-op program that we align with a local university that we've been using cool. for the last three or four years, which has been excellent. I think at least half of our full-time hires have come out of that, that co-op program. Um, they're, it's all tech. They're all, they're all developers and, you know, come in and do engineering work for us. Um, and increasingly we're looking at, you know, how does this place scale? Not because we just want to will it to a scale, but you know, there's lots of reasons for, you know, for wanting to grow. And my biggest one right now is, um, obviously to handle, handle workload. That's, that's what we do for primarily, but also, um, What's the growth path? What's the professional development for people who are here? You gotta, you gotta have some size and structure for people to move into. Um, so we're, you know, we're kind of we're we're looking at that from a, hey, who are our who are our next directors of X or who are our next senior folks? Kind of need to fit those positions so that folks can either grow into them or um, or so that we can we can have them to hire you know to hire beneath. So what does the leadership structure look
0: like right now? Is it primarily? A uh, kind of a senior leadership team, uh, and then somewhat flat under there. Is that is that it, or or is there just yeah. another layer of
1: leadership emerging? So we have uh, we have Gary and I, who you know we affectionately call ourselves the janitors. Sometimes <laughs> you know you uh, just. Uh, I, I would say gary Gary lives very close to sales i live I live closer to services, but at the end of the day, we're both you know just kind of trying to operate the organization. Um, we have a director level of uh, of folks that manage different we call them practices, essentially departments within the the company. and then it does get pretty flat under under there. So we only introduced that hierarchy I would say two years ago and we were about two dozen people, I think we re- recognize the need that there, and it, the company was flat even before then. So Gary and I were like wall to wall, one to ones. You know, yeah. so not a sustainable structure. So wow, we we added in some structure to help sustain that, and also again as the first growth path for some of our some of our staff there that were showing great promise. Um, that has since uh, scaled out to horizontally beneath them. My uh, my director of uh, of engineering Nate, I think he's got like twenty three reports right now, which has forced some other structure, right? So we're, right. we're starting to see people light up, um, as, as more senior folk who have, you know, have some management potential that we're kind of giving them some, you know, giving them some co-ops maybe to, yeah. uh, practice with. I don't want to say they're like science experiments, but you know, just like Gary and I were practicing management on these two surprise people that we had hired, to, <laughs> you know, with a little bit more structure, a little bit more coaching internally, a little bit, and a lot more culture, I think. Um, now it's like okay they can they can take this on. So um, a yeah. little bit more hierarchy is coming. I don't know how you run a completely flat organization. You simply can't get the opinions and alignment from folks if it goes to me if it goes too far too yeah. far out. You'll just be talking to people all day. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you mentioned something a second
0: ago when you were talking about culture and I always like to check in on that and just what has that been like for you in terms of thinking about understanding and even
1: what evolution maybe has culture been like for you guys as a company? That's a great question. Um, And it it has definitely been an evolution. You know, the, I think the culture for the first couple of years for any, for any startup, especially if you're self-sustaining is like, pay the mortgage, (laughs) right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Stay alive. Yeah. Don't, you know, survive. Um, And then, you know, you hire a couple of people and then your mantra is like, okay, we got to pay their mortgages. Right. And, and then once you have an ounce of stability, you can maybe start thinking about for us, it was, um, it was a company retreat, I think maybe five years ago now, because we were definitely a smaller group. Uh, But we started talking about like, you know, values, like, what do we care about here? And we kind of played like the thesaurus game, you know, like what words come to mind when I think about red Argyle, how about you? How about you? Yeah. And and spent basically an afternoon in a cabin in the woods, kind of figuring out like what are those three words that describe red Argyle the best. And for us at that time, it was transparent, articulate, and purposeful. Mm -hmm. Um, And we still hold those values. And we try to, what it did, I think those values helped establish a vocabulary for culture at at that point in time, because we started using those words to sort of measure ourselves, check in with each other, see how we were feeling about, you know, ah, man, you know, this, I don't feel really articulate here because I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying enough, I'm not sharing enough. It starts to almost drive the processes that you have in your company and how you want to, you know, project yourself to your customers. Um, And it just gave us a, it always gave us a sense of grounding to come back Mm. to. So it was as soon as we had, as soon as we did that, well, not as soon as it took a little time to start. What size was the company at that point? We were probably a dozen people, I think maybe a little bit more. Um, But that was sort of the basis for like, okay, let's hang as much as we can off of these, you know, these, these three words were going to be our, our starting point. And out of that, it's, it's it's really grown and it's given us, you know, it's given us branding to, to hold on to. It's given us repeatability in that language. Um, it's been really important and honestly really helpful. Like when we need to communicate some new concept or some challenge that we're having as a company, I always go back to them, you know, and it's, it's almost become second, second nature for people to come back to them. Um, and now, you know. Fast forward to today, we use some performance management and some uh, com- employee engagement tools inside of Redargga. We, we use one tool in particular called Nectar, which um, is a uh, it's a recognition and um, I don't want to say compensation. Uh, <laughs> I can't think of the word. Uh, I you did something awesome. I'm going to give you some nectar bucks and you can go into our, you know, go into our merch, our Red Argyle merch shop and like buy a hat or get some gift cards or, or do whatever, you know, it's, uh, um, and it's all through Slack and, uh, and it kind of keeps track of people's points and stuff like that. And what I think is really powerful about it is like, you can, you can tell it your values, right? So you give it a bunch of hashtags that for a vocabulary that you want people to use. So we've got transparent, articulate, and purposeful in there. And it's really cool to see some of the visualizations that Nectar presents to us when it shows like, hey, Brian uses Articulate a lot when he's talking, when he's rewarding other developers or, you know, stuff like that is really fabulous, like physical manifestation of your culture's cool. language almost. So not to turn this into an advertisement for Nectar, but it's been a very interesting presentation of how culture and values have, 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 co- have uh, permeated through our company.
0: Well, that's perfect because that's that's where my next question was going to be: is just what have you found? What have you found to be helpful to embody and protect? I don't know—is uh, protect the right word, but to to um, encourage, yeah, to encourage yeah. this culture. What nectar sounds like one of them. Uh, what else have you found to be helpful? It doesn't have to be as crazy and or or, or as uh, sophisticated as that. Could be that you you ask about it and, and yeah. your performance reviews, or that you're looking for making decisions by it. What what have you found to be helpful?
1: Yeah, um, I hate to you know not to be cheeky, but asking really seems to help. You know, we uh, in in the in the intent of trying to drive the company forward, get it aligned on important on important topics. Increasingly, you know, Gary and I we we both admit like we, there's no more lightning bolts coming from Olympus, you know, like we don't have all the answers for how this place can run best. Like what do team structures need to be so that y'all can be most successful with your projects? Uh, Sales, what are you hearing out in the market that's, uh, that maybe even contrary to what we think, you know, the direction is that we're taking as a company? Um, I think it's, it's definitely flipped from, you know, we've Gary and I established some values and now we just try to uphold them but use them in such a way that you can almost be—you know—we're trying to be as open door as we can. I don't want to manage everything by committee around right. here. But yeah, I think the—I think the culture of inquisitiveness uh, with respect to to staff is super important. I'm also use it as a as a as a means of I think empowering and giving ownership to things. Increasingly, that's been super important um, because Gary and I don't have all the answers we're not telling everybody what to do all the time. Uh, we have a great crop of people who are super smart, really good at what they do. And increasingly, they want to make a difference on the company, not just beyond just bottom line, right? When they bill, it's great. We can go bill our clients, we go make money. But people are are, are starting to say like, hey, I'm really interested in in this. And I feel like this could really add value here. And to me, all of that is like, you know, now the culture is like, being handed over a little bit, you know, yeah. and like, they're, they're selecting what they find valuable, which is now going to help, you know, just, you know, it's more, more DNA in the Petri dish, right? Yeah. Like yeah more ownership. That's what we're looking for. So what um, have you
0: learned? What have you learned about hiring? Well, right. Like everyone I've had on this podcast, has been part of the journey is that, mm-hmm. how do I do this? What am I looking for? Why yeah. did that one turn out so bad when I thought it was going to turn out so good, you know? And I'm just curious, what uh, what comes top of mind is a few things that you've you've learned as you've gotten. I'm assuming better, even if it's not yeah. perfect. You've gotten better at at hiring for your company.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely better. Not perfect. Never will be perfect. Yeah. I don't think, and that's okay. I think so. You know, to again to be paradoxical, I guess. Um, I think recognizing that it will never be perfect has been a good driving force for us to understand. You know, there are things you have control over, and there are things that you don't. Right, um, and the things that you don't often feel like is this a good culture fit, or the, the word we use here a lot is, does this person have the mojo? You know, at Red Argyle, there's some other kind of storytelling we do with each other uh-huh. to describe this mojo that really basically embodies our values, um, recollecting old stories and things that we've done with with other customers, etc. So I think we've been more attentive to that, alongside restructuring a little bit more what is the what's the path through um, the interview process here? And we started out, we were like, ah, let's do technical interviews for everybody. And then, you know, give them some really hard, you know, esoteric algorithm question. And we've really moved away from that because it doesn't define us at all. Like it doesn't represent how this person's going to work. What we've been doing a lot increasingly is um, case studies or almost kind of like system design exercises collaboratively. with folks. Those, those really help kind of whittle down not so much like what do you know, but like how well will you know what you know alongside other people? You know, and that's to, to us, that's really important. A lot of our work's very collaborative. Nothing happens in a vacuum. Team sizes continue to grow. So what does really that actually to- look like? How do you do that? Do you have like, how, how are they doing that alongside of other people? So um, with our with our developer folks, they actually just get on a call. Right. So to get on a zoom like this, there's some tools out there that, um, I can't remember the name of them, but you know, insert online whiteboard tool here, sure. you know, so the team's done a great job. They've got like these templates, they put them up on screen. The person knows what they're, you know, what they're getting them kind of getting themselves into. Um, and they just work it, you know, so the, and, and I think it's also a good, like it's good practice for our staff. Again, back to that consultative mindset, like you've got to kind of consult the candidate through this. Like, we don't want to, we don't want to be all like, Hmm. Prove it. You know, it's almost like yeah, yeah. if you engage with them, you start to see like this person's really solid at this. They may not be exactly what we thought for this job, but if I cheat a couple of job description bullets, they'll be right in line with what we need, you know, hmm. or they're struggling with certain technical aspects, but man, their uh, you know, their analytical thinking and questioning is really good. So we almost, you know, you never find the perfect fit, but I think we're doing a good job of finding the range that somebody could, could fill here. I'm not going to hire a developer and turn them into a project manager or something like that, but there is, you know, there's more of a continuum now, I think in our, in our roles where your skills might not just be here. They may have, they may have some breadth and, yeah. and, and people, you know, people move between them. And if we can see that that motion's going to happen before they, before they join us, we can try to set them up for, you know, for success in advance. Love that uh you know where my mind goes
0: next is just curious on on what it's looked like or how have you been challenged to grow and evolve alongside of the business it's it's a, to me another uh, obvious assumption is that like as our business grows so must we just like as our kids grow so must we as parents yeah. like we have to keep learning the newest season yeah. and what it requires of me and how do i learn that or show up to that um uh, so i'm curious for you What's that been like? What what ways and what areas has it really challenged you? Like, man, I've got to figure
1: out a way to grow in this. Yeah, I think there's a there's a lot of letting go constantly, um, especially as and, and we've we've been scaling increasingly, so the letting goness has been has been increasing. And, and by letting go, I mean, um, you know, the that reality that that we have as owners that you were good enough to get this company to where it is now. Now you probably need somebody better to do yeah. the thing that you thought you had to do. Um, and it, it it tears at you a little bit sometimes because it's like, well, what do you mean? I've been like pouring my soul into X, Y, Z here. And now you're telling me that it doesn't, that I'm no longer good at it. I think that's kind of the, that's the constant sort of wrestling match that that any owner plays with mentally, but you have to climb up and out, right? And there's probably four things right now that I have to climb up and out of that I don't even know about right now. So it's almost kind of like this, this uh, you know, I, I use like the rungs of the ladder kind of metaphor with myself and my staff a lot. It's like, you gotta, first, you gotta get your arm up, but then you gotta get your nose up and see what's actually there. You know, like the getting your arm up is letting go, but the pulling yourself up is realizing what's next. Mm. And that's constantly, I think increasingly now, as we scale, like you gotta become more meta in your own, in your own organization. And for me, it's been, Outreach with other owners, you know, that's, that, that's been, that's been huge for me just even recently in the last six months, like seeing that we're all kind of in this together and you feel alone. Yeah. If you don't have a, uh, have a a support structure, having a business partner has been huge because we can both kind of go forage for information and knowledge and, you know, check in with each other. Um, I think there's, you know, there's, there's, there's challenges and opportunities to, to being, being your own, you know, being your own CEO versus having a partner. But I, I'm perfectly happy with the way that things are right now because we, we feed off of each other. Um, you know, that's, that's really been the, the the growth path. I was talking to a staff member earlier today and they're, they're kind of in the same place. They're one of these people who our engineering team is saying, you're pretty good with humans. You're also pretty good with your technology. You know, what do you want to do? And it's not like a make or break decision. Right. But he was reflecting to me about like, man, I, I want to grow people, but I don't want to forget, what I'm good at because I need it as a, as a way to measure the folks that I would be, I would be training. And I was like, that's a tough break too. When you, the the worst part is when you got to like lift an arm up and still hold onto the rung beneath you, you know, and you've got to kind of, at some point you have to decide which one to let go of, but it doesn't mean you have to slip your hand off. Right. And just, and just, and just release it. So it's, it's always kind of setting boats in the water, make sure they don't sink. That's my Drew, I talk in nothing but metaphors. So that's sort of, I love it. (laughs) I love um, it. I got, I got one for you. (laughs) I think
0: for that person where my mind goes is you don't have to just be player or coach. That's often the transition that people I went from being a a, a prime player to now I'm just the coach managing the new group of players. I would give him a stage of team captain. Yes. Yeah. Where it's like, Hey man, you're still in the game. You're still contributing. You're still even benchmarking your own results. But I want you to take more of a leadership role as almost like a team captain. Yeah. Where, you know, you look at Kobe Bryant, look at Michael Jordan, look at these, they had a profound influence, leadership influence on their teammates. And they took that role on. There could be that maybe in-between step mm-hmm. of him trying to figure out, do I really even want to do that? You know, yeah. or yeah. do I like playing the game so much that I'd rather just be a captain? Does that make exactly. sense? Exactly. Totally.
1: Yeah. You know, and we talk a lot about um, you know, are you on the field? Are you on the sideline or are you in the box, if you will? Because each of those roles, yep. when it comes to team sport, they all have a different they all have a different purpose. And um, he's, you know, th- this person's very much like the dude can run the ball, you know, and 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 he's, and but he's also an inspiration for the people around him, you know, to see him run the ball. And, yeah. and the question is like, where is that continuum for him, you know, along? Uh, I want to keep running the ball, or I want to show these guys how to be the best ball runners that they can be too. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll see and time. It's all up here, right? Exactly. That's where personal, personal preference comes in. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. it's awesome. Well, that makes me wonder for you when you're talking about part of your growth and development, it, even recently has been finding other, uh, other founders or other, or other people in a similar position to you community. You mentioned earlier, something around mentoring, mm-hmm. uh, take, tell me about that. Like, what has that journey been like for you and finding either peer to peer relationships that have been beneficial and, or even some kind of uh, mentoring that's been beneficial. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I, I mean I'll say uh there's 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 a couple there's a couple facets to that. Um a lot of my early clients were my first mentors, you know, and I I didn't even realize it at the time. Um, and I'm I'm grateful every day I'm more and more grateful for the first, you know, five, 10 organizations that I got to work with because they were longstanding relationships. And I really did have built-in mentorship, you know, after the fact. And I know that I could call up any one of them and still do, you know, still have, still have uh, personal and professional conversations with them. Um, I know I could call any of them up and, 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 uh, and have this kind of candor with them yeah. for sure. Um, so I think that, you know, if you're, if you're starting a new company and you're engaging with clients, those first clients are your mentors, whether you, you know, as long as you do good work, <laughs> right. Right. Um, right. You know, but they're, they're going to be there for you. Um, and they, certainly, they were there for us, business-wise, they kept coming back for more work, but um, not to say that, you know, that doesn't matter anymore, but we've all, all of our companies have evolved, but we now have this, we went on this journey together, you know, as, as companies, you can't, you can't not do, undo that, right? Um, I've also had, uh, you know, there's, there's mentors that to me are in exactly the same business as ours, but are have scaled to the next, you know, the next magnitude or the next two, three magnitudes. Um, I've got, I've got one mentor who runs a company. Um, that's probably, I would say like the next order of magnitude up from us, but is in the same industry doing Salesforce, work, custom development, all that stuff. Um, greatest guy. And I remember one day we were all at a, at an event in Chicago and we were sharing, you know, we're having dinner together, just talking about things and everything that he was describing is I could tell is like what we're just about to step into. And, um, George was like, Hey man, ask me anything. We're running down this. We're all in the same race. I'm a couple of steps ahead and I can just let you know where the potholes are. You know? Mm -hmm. And I was like, it was awesome because it was like, while we are kind of competitors with each other that we we've never really run into each other that way. It was just like, man, this is really reassuring to know that even somebody in my exact same business who I could be bidding against has this kind of empathy and, and wanting to support the greater good of humankind to share that kind of info with us. Um, and then, you know, what one other, uh, one other recent kind of, you know, mentorship, uh, conversation I had was with somebody that was again, similar space, but like five layers above, you know, they're doing, I don't know, I think they're going to do like 300 million this year or whatever. So it was just like, and, and, and his trajectory was, has been insane. You know, he went from like a $2 million Consultancy up to this 300 million in like I don't know three or four years or something very very huge trajectory found a niche went after it and has been very successful and um, you know his uh, his 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 thoughts were really all around like you know how do you you know it was interesting to hear his questioning about us as a company because it was all culture it had very little to do with our technical aptitude or you know our our experience in certain aspects of the platform he's like people are going to want to buy what you do, how you do it, not what you know. And that was really, you know, it seems so obvious, but it's kind of profound for me is we're, as we scale, it's going to become less about, yeah, we can move the nuts and bolts mechanics. And we really want to, you know, emphasize the journey and value that we bring to our company, our, our customers at a higher level. And what is that higher level? We've kind of got to figure that out as a customer. So he really left me sort of like, uh, you know, like, that's awesome. How, how am I going to fill that? So I think like mentors who don't, you know, none of them a great mentor should never tell you what to do uh, or how to do it they should just leave you with those socratic like thought bombs that you got to go figure out yourself and then they they in doing so they give you the room to grow the com- your company the way you you ultimately will discern what's best for you yeah um, so those have been awesome um, i belong to some professional networks like entrepreneurs organization mm-hmm. been a member of that for 6 months or so my business partner gary's been a member of it for a while he's been like dude you should join there's good stuff i just haven't had the headspace to be there but i can confirm in just the six months like i've got a great network of support you know around that and i think that one's like the sustaining members you know like we kind of you know we meet we talk about our challenges you feel like you're not all alone and um you know it's almost it's it's reinvigorating to kind of like you know the bell rings between rounds you meet with your eo forum you come back and feel like all right i can go back and do this you know everybody's sharing the same challenges we're not alone super cool (laughs) Uh, man,
0: well, one, one, one more question on the learning train. Uh, I asked this to a, a founder the other day and I really liked the question. So I'm going to repeat it. What would be, uh, again, depending on how much you read, this might be an annoying question, but I'm still going to ask it anyways. What would you say are the five top books that have, have most
1: influenced or shaped
0: you? Hmm.
1: Let's see. Um, I might not get all the titles, right? So, you know, there. Uh, bear with me. Um, I think extreme ownership is is number one up. on my list uh, yep I, i've i've got that f- i, I, I want to probably revisit that one in lightning round time but uh <laughs> definitely definitely one um start with why uh yeah. I, I come back to that you know i read it a while ago i come back to it um mostly just as a, kind of like a mental mental check mm. um measure what matters uh is uh is is uh, is one that that's i keep coming back to because we we apply OKR you know, okay. objectives and key result uh, methodology on our performance management. We're about a year into it. We're still like fledgling, you know, so I keep coming back to that to really check in on like, are we, are we really getting to what matters? You know, that's, that's kind of the, uh, you know, the, 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 whole point. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's a, there's a couple of the, uh, you know, a couple of the base camp books that uh, were pretty, pretty seminal for Gary and I, when we were, when we were young um, before, base camp stuff kind of got crazy recently and other, you know, there's, there's a lot in the, lot of the media on those guys, but I think the the, the tenets of, you know um, what is it, it doesn't have to be crazy to call it work um, you know, remote, all of those things were, were really um, influential for, you know, for Gary and I, when we were, uh, when we were coming up. Um, and then I think the other one uh, that uh, that probably has nothing to do with um with anything is um, Siddhartha by, uh, by Herman Hess. It, it was given to me yeah, when I graduated. Uh, it's probably high school reading. Okay. Um, you know, it's really kind of, uh, it, it really, um, uh, it, I, I, it, I was given it to, I think it was given to me in, 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 when I graduated from high school and um, I don't even remember the whole story, but I just remember like, you know, this dude on a journey was kind of like, you know, what it always left me with. And then whenever I feel like I'm kind of like, I have no idea what's going on in the world right now. Like I feel like it res- it would resonate with me, you know, like I, yeah. I, I couldn't even tell you the whole story and how it progressed, but it was just like, it just left that, like, you're not alone in the universe kind of, you know, kind of feeling um, yeah. with me. So it's like, the alchem- is, is like the alchemist is it similar like the alchemist? Kind of like the alchemist. Yeah. Which I've been reading very slowly, like one page a month, you know, just cause it's on my sideboard. And when I can't sleep, I'll, I'll, I'll open it up, but a yeah. similar, you know, and a similar take on, like you a know, hero's
0: journey type
1: architect. Yeah, yeah. Like a subtle hero's journey. You know, it yeah. wasn't like, it's not like taking the ring to Mount Doom, you know, right. it, was just, it was a much more kind of introspective, you know, look at at your progression through life. So. Cool. Uh, those are the ones. that you know, I'm, I'm, I tell everybody half joking, like I'm a terrible reader. I'm the slowest. My comprehension is terrible. I have to take notes from on my own notes, but you know, the ones, so the ones that really do hit me are like, yeah, that's a top five because it actually stuck with me. So for what it's worth.
0: What, what is your preferred medium for learning? Is it listening like an audible? Is it watching something like a talk on YouTube? Is it reading? Is it,
1: what's your preferred mode of learning? You know, it's funny. Uh, until recently I almost felt like, uh, reading was necessary because you had to go through the chore of start to finish of the book. Right. And then I can't. There there was literally a book about how to read that I stumbled on. I use Blinkist as a side, so kind of Cliff Notes versions once in a while when I hear something, salient points. And it's almost like my filter for like, were those salient points cool? If so, you might want to read the first three chapters of that book. Were the first three chapters cool? You might want to finish it. I've kind of given myself permission to like not have to get to the last page of books lately, and it's been super liberating for me. You know, I, um, because I can't just sit down and pound through it. I want to take what I can get. And I finally, I think found maybe my rubric that works well for digesting just what I need, you know, not necessarily everything.
0: That's, that's going to be what I'm experimenting with right now is telling my team the same thing that I only need like blinkist or 12 minute reads. I need the big ideas. And then from there I'll decide what's worth reading all the way through. Like if it's like really profound, This is the, you know, when it's the right time, you're in the right season and you're Mm -hmm. like, I need to understand the ins and outs of this. Well, then I'll read the whole thing. But for now, maybe I just need the big, I just need in the back of my brain, the big idea. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Even even to start with why I've never read the whole thing, but I watched it. I watched Simon Sinek's talk on it and it makes a whole bunch of sense to me that you would start with understanding the why before the what or the how. Uh, And maybe that's all you need to know for now until it's the right time. You got to go deeper. So I, anyways, that's what I was curious about. Yeah. Everyone's got a different preferred kind of learning style. And I think we all play with it for a while until we find what kind of works works best for us. Does yeah, that make sense?
1: Exactly. I, you know, I, um, I love the idea of audiobooks and I do listen, you know, from time to time. And, and, and I've got, a you know, a rare few uh, things in my catalog that are like, I've, I've blinkist it, I've booked it, I've audibled it, you know, like the whole the whole shebang but I find I'm a much more passive learner when I'm in audible mode than if I'm in, you know, even, even Blinkist, like I can kind of, I think when I draw out words, it, it, it helps me sit like my eyeball sees it. My brain reflects it as opposed to my ears hearing it. My brain doesn't reflect it as much, but yeah. that's just me. You know, I, uh, you know, it's uh, it's all personal, personal preference. I think just give it, give yourself permission to learn the way that you want to, you know, rather than right. feeling like, Oh man, teacher's going to bat my knuckles. If I don't finish this book in time, like we don't need to do that anymore. Yes. We're all grownups. Journaling was the,
0: was that way for me. It's still something I don't do super well, but I used to do it not at all Mm -hmm. because I thought I had a very certain way. I thought I was supposed to interact with it for certain reasons. And it was almost more like a diary. Yeah. I just didn't care. Like, I just, (laughs) I found no value in me basically recounting the shit I went through in a day. And, and, and then one time I was like, well, what if I just got that out of my brain? Like, mm-hmm. What could I use a blank page for? And I just realized not every day, but at certain moments, a blank page can be very helpful for me to organize chaos in my brain. For sure. Yeah. And that was it. And so now I kind of, I still don't do it religiously, but like, I kind of like journaling just as a blank page that I can ask myself questions or I can organize uh, concepts in my mind about my business or whatever. And it freed me that I was not just going Today I did this and this blah, blah blah blah. And it was like I just had to be honest, like I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> my, my wife loves that. That going through that process for mm-hmm. whatever reason is nourishing to her and mm-hmm. does help her learn things about process the day it does the opposite for me. Like it yeah. just shuts me down. I, it's like too many details. <laughs> I'm tired. I don't want to even write. I get, I get tired of the writing motion. Yeah. You know? Uh, so anyways, I'm curious if, if there's things like that alongside of reading that you
1: found like, man, once I freed myself, this became more enjoyable. Yeah. You know, I, um, I struggle with sleep as I imagine every business owner in the universe and does parent as well and parent, you know, you name it. Um, and uh I I I don't know if I don't I don't know if I got the right the right uh artist, but I remember watching, I think it was like a Billy Joel um, you know, VH1. I don't know, are you that old? Uh, <laughs> yes I'm setting my yeah. age again, you know, uh documentary about Billy Joel, how he would like couldn't sleep because he had songs on his brain, you know, and like he'd reach over and like, you know, the most memorable Billy Joel songs are like started out as scratch pad in the middle of the night for wow. him. Um, and I'm no Billy Joel, like, don't, I got, I got no songs to share, but I had finally realized that, you know, I learned the word rumination, uh, not too long ago and, and, and still struggle with it. But as soon as that word or that phrase or that challenge gets written down somewhere, it's accounted for, right? It's not Um, in your brain anymore. It's not here anymore. I got one less piece of information that I need to hold on to. Um, so not, so not as intense as like, um, not certainly not as intense as you, as you described your wife has, you know, from a, from a diary kind of perspective, but yeah. the journaling for me comes, you know, it's like I use like it brain as a tool dump. almost in crisis. I don't want to say like, ah, yes. you know, things are terrible, but it's like my brain's having a momentary crisis around this particular challenge. And I, and I, I even tell, you know, I'm finally comfortable saying to myself, there is absolutely nothing you can do about this at three in the morning. Like, what are you gonna do? You're gonna get up and start working on it. Try to solve the problem at three in the morning. Right. Probably not. You know, like I, I, I enjoy some early waking, like work time when it's productive, but in crisis, you know, none of us can, can be successful. Then we're just, we're just afraid. Yeah. uh, You know, you got to put that fear somewhere. You're going to come back to it at a time when I don't know about you, but every time I write a thing down and I'm like, ah, this is terrible. Um, it's like 15 minutes of work the next day to just square it away. Right. Like yeah, that's, yeah. you know, like to, we, we, we are so good at conflating um, these, these yeah. stupid brains in
0: our heads. Or it's like one tough phone call. And then you you have that phone call and you work through it and it's, it's over and you're like, Oh, that, all right. that
1: happened. Okay. We're all still yeah. here. Business is still alive, you know, probably better yes. off not having taken any action on it. Cause what would I just be probably more tired. Yeah. That's uh, That I think has been, you know, lightning round fodder, you know, (laughs) things things I wish I had done sooner, you know, that's, that's
0: what I want, man. I want all all this stuff applies. Like I can't, uh, I know a majority of business owners right now have trouble sleeping and often it's because the stress wakes them up or even sometimes creativity or questions they know they need to ask. And I used to stay up and do those until I realized nine times out of 10, I actually didn't end with good conclusions. Yeah. I was so tired that I wasn't actually, even though I felt inspired in the moment, in the light of day, I was like, that's a terrible idea. Like, why did I spend an hour thinking I just changed my business? That's a bad idea. So what I did was I took the, the impotence, like the, what was the thing I was mulling on? Like, what was Mm -hmm. the thing that was in my brain? And I just wrote, like you said, I wrote that down, that question or that idea. And I went back to bed and I I would pick up where I left off in the light of day, caffeinated, you know, thinking clearly and be like, okay, so last night for some reason I was wondering where are we really going? I mean, just making a an yeah. thing. Like where are we really headed as a company? I'm going to now think about that. And I was able to fall asleep because it wasn't living in my head and I wasn't worried about forgetting it. It was on that piece of paper or mm-hmm. actually not a piece of paper. It was a, it, notes on my phone. Yep. Uh, I'm guilty. My, it's digital. Yeah. That's mine because then it's on my computer and it's it's everywhere. Yep. It's but I, I have like shit I th- should think about is the name of a is the name of a list on my phone. And then there's uh, shit I got to get done is another list on my yep. phone. That's not your average day to day. It's stuff that I almost forgot. Mm-hmm. That, like mm-hmm. I needed to make a quick jot of like, I needed to call Tom and remind him, Hey man, get some more sleep tonight. I'm making something yeah. up. Right. Yep. And it's like, or I need to get an oil change for my wife's car. Like that could so easily slip my own mind. Cause I'm not driving it around every day or whatever, but just to have that makes me live two notches lower in anxiety. For sure, this is not an open loop in the back of my brain that I'm hoping I'll remember at the right time. Right. Yeah. See
1: what I'm saying? Yep. I what was it? Um, you know, pre pre Red Argyle, You know, the uh, the, the four hour work week was yes. uh, you know was a big thing, and then there was another one. Um, uh, I can't remember. It was basically like it was the guy that kind of was like the king of to do lists. You know, and basically uh, I, I wish yes. I could remember the name of the book now, but it was probably this was 15 years ago, maybe 10 or 15 years ago that this. Uh, yes. Um, you know, he's kind of like tickler files and, you know, uh-huh, all, all that uh-huh. kind of stuff. Um, and I, I, you know, I held on to it. Not like, I'm not a, like a, a religious about, about his methodology, but like a lot of that stuff is like, yeah, man, put it somewhere. Cause you ain't going to remember it. You know, yes. you got enough going on here. And certainly the more, the more the bigger your company, the more you got going on at home, the more you got going on with customers, you know, talk about, talk about, start with why and, and measuring what matters. Like those are, you know, become become so much more to the forefront. So good. Well, we're already in the lightning round zone.
0: So let's roll this right into yeah. our lightning round questions. That sound good? Sounds good. Five questions. We've gotten a chance to ask each founder like you. We're going to start with question number one. If you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would that message be? I think it would
1: be the tenants of extreme ownership um, out, of, out of that book. I, I come back to them over and over again I use them as kind of teaching opportunities you know kind of stop look around make a plan um you know the the notion of ownership I think it it gets lost sometimes in 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 our work where I'm assigning a name to a thing right and that's mm. like boom, you're the owner now you know and then sometimes there's also the other end of the spectrum where maybe you're thinking like, like racy chart, right? Like who's responsible, accountable, consulted, informed, that sort of model. You can use that, but I often find that the most aligned teams know that they have each other's backs, right? Yeah. That's at the, at the end of the day, not to oversimplify the notion of extreme ownership, but if you could boil down all of the subjectivity around a matter and accept that objectively we need to get a thing done, how empowering is that to know that you can lean on other people who share the same sentiment and i don't want everybody to work themselves to death but when a thing needs doing you've got the you've got the support structure in place to do it Um, yeah you know it's a growing it's a growing concept but everybody you have to almost kind of accept a little bit of uh you know accept a little bit more than you would expect in in that in that mindset especially man one, I love that concept. Uh, it
0: resonates with me deeply. It also is in conflict right now with some of the the cultural thinking that we have right now, which I think is a result of lack of trust. It's not just that yeah. we're thinking wrongly. I think when you don't have good trust, maybe even for good reason, with your neighbor, with your coworker, with your your fellow countrymen, mm-hmm. you get self protective. Yep. And you know, and self protective. That's more. I'm going to blame you. I'm going to I'm going to justify me. I'm going to protect my rights. I'm going to, no, I wasn't. I'm going to CYA. I'm going to cover my ass. You yeah. know what I mean? But what you're talking about collaboration, if there's trust, and maybe I don't know which comes first, the chicken or the egg, but if there's trust, <laughs> you take ownership. Yeah. And, and yeah. even if it wasn't your fault, you're like,
1: exactly. You know,
0: that, that's what I thought that was so important about what Jocko was saying. Like, even if it's not your fault, because you're not playing that game, you're not playing. Right who's getting reprimanded and who's not. You're like, I want them to know I have their back. And if I I was the leader, I'm taking ownership for that. Like, maybe I could have prepared them better. Maybe I could have. And I'm like, dude, that, I think that would be so healing and productive if we took that approach versus the cover your own ass, fight for your own self-protection kind of thing. Does that
1: make sense? Yeah, totally. I mean, that's the, um, if I can walk into a room and know that everybody here categorically is in support of, of trying to accomplish what we need to. And I don't have to worry about things like those meta arguments about like, well, you said you would, or I said, I would, it's like, Hey, you know what? I started this company. It's already all my fault, right? Like that's kind of, you know, I, that's not yeah. a great place to be mentally all the time, you know, and use it as a tool to beat yourself up about. Right. Right. If you accept that, you know, you can, you can contribute and you can nurture and you can ultimately own you know, ownership doesn't mean you need to get all the work done. It just means you need to, un- you need to own the outcome of this. And if yep. I want to own the outcome, you know, I can either do all the work or I can support it to the nth degree and help other people be successful, you know, and know, and, and give them the freedom to know that this is not all your fault. If something goes wrong, you know, we're, we're in this together. I can support you from here. You support from there. And, and let's move forward together, knowing that trust is, trust is already baked in. Super cool. Okay. Question number two, what is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And also what was the worst? I think the best advice we touched on a little bit earlier is like, there are other people out there that can do most things that you do better than you can. And you Mm -hmm. need to go find them. You know what you get past that first year, the, the, the economic stability starts to settle and not the first year, but you know what I mean? Like once economic stability settles into your organization, start aggressively finding the folks who can, who can perform those specialties, who can advise you on the things that you maybe take for granted, because they will propel your company, you know, faster than, than, than you would think. Um, The worst advice, I think it was kind of all the obligatory BS about, about running a business, you know, and, you know, most of them fail. You can't do it when you have kids, you know, don't start a business in an economic crisis, I guess. I don't know if I heard that one specifically, but, um, I think it's just kind of like, you know, the, the obligatory fear that lives out, out in the space. you got to just go and try this, you know, like you got one shot around the galaxy, if you will, while you're alive, like, you know, to take, just set aside the obligatory noise that's out there and go try this thing. Um, I tried it in a very tactical way. It took you know red argyle was existed five years before it was actually a company so if you will so I I had some measures to to get there but you gotta go try it um as opposed to just you know don't don't look at everything that people are saying because they, they you know it just isn't necessarily the truth. You know? Yeah. So good. All right question number three what causes
0: you the most worry or stress currently leading your organization?
1: So as we scale I think making sure that people feel supported and have a space to grow into is not necessarily like, I don't know if I call it a worry, but I, I always feel, it always bums me out when I'm the last to know that uh, a person is leaving because reason it's kind of like, oh man, I didn't even know, like, you know, we, we didn't, we didn't know as a company, we needed to support that, or we didn't know that that person was having that struggle, you know, so, so it's become much more top of mind. You can't anticipate everything. But putting that lens of how can this person grow, or how will this team grow? Um, what's this? I asked. I asked one of my directors a month or so ago, like, "What is the, you know what is this resource going to be the director of in two years? You know, like having trying to have that forward thinking. Assume you're going to grow as a company. Assume you can scale. Assume you're successful. Be in that mindset. Um, kind of turns the worry. Use the worry as a tool, right, like rather that. than a than a uh, an anchor. I like that. All right. Question number four, what is your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal? So um, before COVID, if any of us remember that time, um, <laughs> <laughs> about like two months before shutdown, I was in a, um, uh, I sat on a panel, a small business panel. And, uh, you know, they were talking about like, what, what really drives you? Like what's the same, almost the same question. And at that time, you know, I, I, I was, uh, I was talking about how, you know, I think red Argyle should have a campus someday, you know, like doesn't just imply like, Hey, we're big, you know, it really implies more like there's new ventures and opportunities for us as a, as an organization, we have a standing and purpose in our community. You know, there's, there's five or six buildings over there and it's all red Argyle town. You know, it's kind of my, it's a vague goal, but I feel like if we can form, you know, our company to, to shape it, be shaped in that way and have a, have a, a foothold in the community. Um, that that means other stuff is happening around it, right? We've we've grown in a in a I guess a transparent, articulate, articulate and purposeful way to get there.
0: Yeah. I love it. Uh, it's like your own version of a little cupertino. Yeah. You know, like
1: we're not gonna be Google, we're probably not gonna be Apple, but you know, in our our little rural bumpkin village here that we that we work in outside of Rochester and yeah. upstate New York, I think we could bring that. You know, Gary and I, we, we joked about, you know, do we offshore? Yeah, we offshore on Canandaigua Lake, you know, it's just <laughs> like a finger lake up here in upstate New York. So rather than going across the sea, maybe we can all just go to the go to the beach head here at uh, the at Canandaigua Lake.
0: I love it. I love it. All right. Question number five this is our fun, creative question. If you could hop into a DeLorean, you get to go back to your past and tell yourself only one thing out the driver's side window as you drive by. When would you go back? And what would you tell that younger version of yourself?
1: Hmm. I would go back to I think it's probably 2014. This was this was before we were, you know, we were still kind of middling, right? But things were comfortable, and and we were growing in a way. We had it, we had a good client base. Um, but I, I think I'd probably yell to myself as I'm going by, like, like be kind to yourself, dude. Mm. Um, You know, because I I know how deep in trying to grow the business and do the work. That was probably the peak time when I was in the middle of both of those. Just before I think I realized you can't hold on to everything all the time. Um, And I I think it still took me another year or two to maybe get that across in my own brain. Um, So I wish somebody screamed it at me at that time, (laughs) because I think I would have moved faster through that and hopefully become more, you know, you're always becoming enlightened you feel simultaneously ignorant and enlightened when you, when you run a business, right? You're like, Oh, I don't need to do that because reason, or, Oh man, I really need to get out from underneath this, this thing because, because reason Um, that took a while to get into that mode. And I, I I wish I had a reminder to go faster at that mentality than I, than I had things have worked out, but they could have gone a little faster.
0: Yeah. That's the nature of the question. (laughs) That's awesome. Tom, man, thank you so much for being here. This is truly a fascinating conversation. I learned a lot and uh, I, um, I hope you enjoyed being here. So thank you for sharing with me and with our audience.
1: Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Drew. Yes, sir.
0: Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.